Now it is time to open the scripture. Open with me to Exodus chapter 12. We find ourselves in Exodus chapter 12 on the eve of the Passover, on the eve of the full and complete and total rescue of Israel, people of Israel, from the clutches of Egyptian slavery. This is a, as you might well understand, this is an important time in the history of Israel. This is an important time in the history of redemption, because without this night, there would not be a redeemer to come from this people for us the way that God had anticipated. This is the next step in God's plan. This was not a reaction by Yahweh. This is not something that caught him off guard. This was part of the, the plan and the purpose that he decreed from before the foundation of the earth. But he has told Moses that he is personally going to intervene now. He is not going to use Moses as the, the, the instrument to do this. He's going to tell everyone to go into their homes, stay in your home, do not come out. Because what I'm about to do is, is of too great uh, a, and terrifying reality for you to endure. It is along the lines of, of the uh, cutting of the covenant with Abraham when he put Abraham into a divine coma that Abraham might survive the appearance of Yahweh. Abraham split the bull, split the goat, killed the two birds, laid the carcasses on either side and made uh, something of, a, of, a, of an aisle to pass through. And God put him into a, he kept the birds off of them all day. And as the sun went down, Yahweh showed up and put Moses, uh, put Abraham into a, a divine coma. And he passed through the pieces. And it said that a, a great darkness fell on Abraham. There was a terror in Abraham in his unconscious state, a terror when the, the full presence of God passed near him. And that is what is going to, to be the reality on this particular night in Egypt as Yahweh is going to pass through Egypt. And if the Israeli people will do what he tells them, he will pass over them. And the wrath of God passing over the, these people because of the blood that he will see. And it is pointing forward to a greater Passover sacrifice that causes God to pass over those that put their faith and trust in that Passover lamb. These people had to do something. There was an action that, that proved their faith. We say that we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. True faith in Jesus Christ creates a certain type of behavior. There is a newness to behavior. That is why the picture of baptism is so accurate. Buried in Christ, we are buried and, and, and considered by God to have experienced that death. And we are raised to a newness of life. Not, a, not necessarily a new feeling, but a new type of life, a new quality of life. We are no longer the sinner that we used to be. We are now a saint that is walking with Christ, and we desire to do that. We're not forced to do it. John said, we, we as believers love God, and this is what loving God looks like. He said, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and they're not burdensome. It's the exact opposite of the idea of Lent in Roman Catholicism. They're giving up something, supposedly something good for, uh, for, for the 40 days of Lent, which they robbed from the worship of Osiris. It is the weeping for Tammuz for 40 days that comes from the, the Tower of Babel. 
But we're going to incorporate it here and we'll, we'll weep for 40 days. Why are we weeping? Why would a believer need to weep today? That cross is empty, my friend. And it's empty forevermore. And the one that was on that cross is at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. I don't need to give up anything that I don't want to give up. The only thing I've had to give up is the thing that was killing me anyway. Why? It's a celebration now. There are people that are giving up. I remember in school, how many of your friends ever gave up something good for Lent? How many of you, in, in, when you practice, had you give up something good? Bubble gum, that was tough. You see, that, that's, that's how it gets. I remember in, in school, they said, oh, I'm giving up Brussels sprouts for Lent. Hey, me too. Me too. I tell you what, if it works that good for Lent, I'm just doing it all the time. I've given up Brussels sprouts. That's how, I'm just not doing it for 40 days. I'm going to do it for 40 years or however long I have left. I mean, people give up things. In, in, I've heard of people giving up social media for 40 days. Now, I recommend that, but not for Lent. But it's, it, what these people are going to do, the Lord is going to tell them this is to be a celebration for you. Not a funeral, it's a party because of what he is about to do. But when he is going to come into Egypt, there's going to be an ominous experience in real time for these people as, as the unmitigated wrath of God passes over them and passes through Egypt. Says there, there's going to be a, a, an outcry like has never been heard, and you, can, you don't have to strain your imagination to realize that's the case. If there's not a home in all of Egypt where there's not someone dead in an instant. And you're to commemorate this with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There is the Passover... It is going to be, in Egypt, it, it, from the record, it seems as though the Passover, this is, is a one-day thing. He tells them, go get the lamb, slaughter the lamb, cook it this way, put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, it, it, over the top and, and down the side. It doesn't say necessarily to paint it, but to put blood at the top and on the, and on the two sides. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. And that is why it's called Passover. It seems a bit trite, but that is what you need. You need God to pass over your sins. Because you can't make them right. You can't make yourself different. You need another to come in and to do that. And that is the picture of the blood that another has died to pay for this. They're going to, to catch the edge of the reality that God requires a blood sacrifice because of sin. What did he tell Adam in the day that you eat of it? In your dying, you will surely die. Most English translations say in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That's technically not what he said. When you eat of it, you're as good as dead. And in your dying, you will die. He experienced a spiritual death at that point that began, a physical death that began at that point. It is something that, that is such a horrific idea that we can't even imagine. We've never not known the reality of, of living. To, uh, we're, we're all in a process of dying from the time that we're born. Adam was in a state of perfect innocence. He wasn't holy yet, but he was in perfect innocence. And he went from perfect innocence to a sinful fallen creature in an instant as soon as he tasted that fruit. It must have seemed as though it, it turned rotten in his mouth. It 
And that put us in a place where we have to have another to pay for our sin. We cannot overcome it. We can't do enough. We would like to. We would like to. We would like to be able to come up with a plan that would, that would allow us to, to work up our salvation, to do enough to earn it. Because we really want to do that. And as a believer, the one thing you want to do, you want to please God in all that you do. And when you don't, you want to try to make up for it. Amen? Been there? Oh, Lord, I did it again. Let me make up for it. Hold on. If you could make up for it, why was there that? And we have to remind ourselves of that. We, I, I'm not telling you, oh, look, I figured this out. Quit worrying about it. This, we have to constantly remind ourselves of that. Lord, I did this again. Yeah, I knew that was coming when he was on the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Because there is a blood sacrifice that has been applied to you that causes my wrath to pass over you. These people are experiencing the first real explanation of this, the first illustration of this. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 14 in chapter 12. And, and just understand what we're reading here. The Passover is to take place on the 14th of Nisan. It is to begin the following year. It will begin on the 10th. They will bring the lamb into the house on the 14th of Nisan at twilight between about 3 and 6 o'clock our time, three hours before sunset. They will begin to slaughter these lambs, catch the blood in a basin, do the preparatory work, cook it over an open fire, and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. On this night, they're going to eat it in haste. There's some things that change in this from the time that, that it happens on this night to the time that, that in Jesus' day. Because in Jesus' day, they're having the Passover, but it's an extended meal. They're not, they're, they're, they're not standing there with their, with their sandals on. And, and I mean, that, we know they're not there with their sandals on because Jesus just finished washing their feet. But they're going to eat it this night in this way, and they're going to commemorate that night in the way that they, they memorialize it as the years go on. This night is an important one because this is the first one. And this first one is going to set the bar for the rest. And they need to understand and, and have a, there, there is a, at, at this point, it's not necessarily, the Passover is not going to be as much of a celebration for them as it will be in the future. On, th on this night, they, they just know we've got to do this or we're going to get it. Yahweh is coming. We have to be prepared. There's more of a terror involved in this night more, rather than what is going to be the memorializing of it and the festival to come. They're going to have the 14th of Nisan is going to be the, the Passover beginning at twilight, beginning when the sun went down on the 14th starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasts for seven days. So from twilight on the 14th, as we'll see, to twilight on the 21st is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And nowhere have I read does it say that anything in the feast is supposed to be uh, the, marked by, by deprivation, except that they're eating unleavened bread. They could eat anything else that they wanted. They just had to have unleavened bread with everything. And bread was a staple for these people. Uh, I did try to look. I was asked last week about that, and I did try to, to find anywhere. No one ever addresses it that I can find. It was just the idea that whatever you do eat, it's to be a feast. It's to be a celebration. It's not a matter of depriving yourself of everything but unleavened bread. He doesn't say that. That's not a feast. That's not a festival. That's, that's uh, 
uh, an act of penitence, supposedly. That, that's just a, an act of deprivation. And he wants it to be a feast to celebrate their release from slavery. It's to celebrate what he has done. That's what he is describing for them to do for the future. And remember, this is not what Moses and Aaron decided to do after the fact. They don't come up with a way to commemorate what happened in the past. Hey, guys, we're going to have, I was reading this afternoon, my kids were watching that crazy TV show on the History Channel, The Foods That Made America or whatever. And uh, it is good. And it's goofy, and I like it. So I, I try to put an onus on the, the thing, but if it's on, I'm going to watch it most of the time. And I had to kind of pull myself away from it the, this, this afternoon to finish preparing for tonight. But they were talking about why we eat turkeys for Thanksgiving, why everybody eats a turkey. I don't know if all of you know, well, that's what the pilgrims ate. We don't have, the pilgrims ate deer, man. They probably had a turkey or two. But there was one guy that decided we're going to have turkey for everybody and we're going to do it this way. And it's... It, other than that, some of you have cranberry sauce and the rest of you that have sense don't have cranberries anywhere near your table. Until the 1930s, cranberries was only something that, that was eaten in the Northeast. That's what made all those people in Massachusetts go crazy, eating cranberries. Now they want to can it and send it to everybody. My mother loves them, by the way. She shows up Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, I have the... She makes, she makes a dessert. What does she call it? Calls it something salad. It's got pistachio pudding in it and cream cheese and maybe jello and some pecans. I don't know what you call it. I call it that, that green stuff my mama makes, and she's got to make a bucket full because I'm eating some, and you've got to have enough for everybody else. But I don't know what they call it. You're going to say it, and I'm not going to remember. But it's, she, she does that, and she comes with that and the cranberries. You could just count on it. I don't care if we're eating bologna sandwiches for Thanksgiving. Carolyn is coming with cranberry sauce and that green salad. But everybody does something a little different. This was not something that Moses said, you know, we're going to have a celebration, just set this day aside, and the Nilsons can celebrate, and the, the, the sheriffs can celebrate a little different, the Eaglins, we know they're going to do it a little bit different. No, he said everyone is to do it the same way, because this is a prescription Years in advance. They're not going to experience this for a year. God is instituting the Feast of Unleavened Bread before they have an opportunity. He's telling them the night before, this is how you're going to do it in the future. Because this is to be a commemoration that I have instituted. And it's to be done my way. And when God gives his people, or later on when, when the church is born... He gives instruction to the church. He expects it to be done a certain way. He doesn't expect you to go out and figure out a better way and a more enjoyable way for you to do it. And he's telling them this ahead of time. This is before the deliverance is even given. This is how you're going to celebrate it. So this is straight from Yahweh. This is not Moses giving a, a rational uh, religious leader's concoction. This is what God tells them to do. Let's start in verse 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you. You will celebrate it as a feast for, to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a perpetual statute. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. 
Now on the first day there will be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be done by you. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a perpetual statute. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your places of habitation you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Bring out and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and touch some of the blood to the lintel and the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. And Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians and he will see the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts and Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall keep this event as a statute for you and your children forever. And it will be when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you, as he has promised. You shall keep this new slavery. And it will be when your children say to you, What is the meaning of this new slavery to you? That you shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but delivered our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so. Just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. In verses 14 to 20, we see the memorial started. This is God telling them this is what the memorial will be. He is starting it. He has instituted it. He's picked the month and the day. This, by our calendar, the keeping of our calendar, this would have been uh, late March, early April, would, would be about the time frame of, of this particular month in the Jewish calendar. He said, this is to be the first month for you. Along the lines of uh, <clears throat> businesses have a... They have a calendar year, and then they have a fiscal calendar. And their fiscal calendar, a lot of times, will start in the middle of the year. I have no idea why a business does that. I just know that that's a reality. The federal government has a fiscal year that starts in the middle of the year. The, the calendar that we use is different a little bit than the calendar that they use, but God picked the first month because it is in that month that the people of Israel have begun this new have entered this new place in God's plan of provision for them. He is taking the entire nation out of slavery and providing for them a freedom that unfortunately most of them will not, will not respond properly to. We'll see that as we go through. But this is to be the first month to them. This, will be, this day will be a memorial. You will celebrate it as a feast throughout your generations. You are to... to to celebrate it as a perpetual statute. We're going to hear that a couple of times in here. 
It was a serious memorial, and the seriousness of it is that God tells them, this is what you will do. You will eat unleavened bread. You will remove the leaven from your houses. Somebody's had to spend the Passover day going through the house and getting all the leaven out. And then at, at twilight that night, it started the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. You hear that expression twice in here as well. To be cut off from Israel. This is how serious it is to God. God doesn't play fast and loose with what he expects. He didn't then, he doesn't now. And it is indeed a, a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Outside of Christ, you don't want anything to do with God. Outside of coming to God on his terms, you don't want him involved in your life for a nanosecond. You are an enemy of God until you come to him on his terms in Christ. And until these people, until, if and when, and until these people stepped out of this, God had, he's going to have some hard and fast rules, but he always has a way of sacrifice to bring you back. He doesn't offer that here. You're going to be cut off from the people of Israel. This is pretty serious. If anybody didn't do this on this night, we don't have any record that any of the Israelis didn't. It says the sons of Israel did as Yahweh said. They did exactly what Moses and Aaron told them to do. But what he says here is if anybody tonight doesn't do that, you don't get to leave. doesn't tell us that anybody got left behind. It does tell us that a mixed multitude did go with them. So there must have been some Egyptians that went with them for one reason or another. But no Israeli could go. I mean, you, that you, I told you that I think it's in Numbers 12. They come to this first Passover post-Exodus and there's a handful of guys come to Moses and say, hey, we're, we've been rendered unclean because we had to bury somebody. What do we do if we don't participate in this? Then we're going to be cut off from Israel. And God said, this is so serious that don't worry about the ritual uncleanness. You must participate in this. It's that serious. The significance of the memorial in verses 16 and 17 is to be a significant time. The first day is a holy convocation. First day is to be treated like a Sabbath day. No work is to be done. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would be the 15th of Nisan, until the 21st of Nisan, you, you've, no work is to be done. It's, it's a holy convocation. It is a, a holy day or holiday, as we may put it, on the, the 15th and the 21st, starting at, at sundown on the, the 14th to sundown on the, the 21st. That would technically be from the 15th to the 21st. And it is significant because this is memorializing the very day, the exact day in which this happened. Verses 18 to 20, we see the sincerity of this memorial. It's to be for seven full days. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving for seven days. They had a question on that thing I watched today. I've got some new information for you. You know how long the first Thanksgiving service lasted? Two hours. And the, the options were two hours, one day, seven days, or something. I forget what they were, but it, it wasn't very long. But this was to be a seven-day memorial. They just set aside seven full days for this. To commemorate one day. 
They're setting aside seven days every year. And they have a holy convocation day on, on the first day and on the last day. This is not a meal or two. Uh, there's not to be, uh, there will be no leaven found in your houses for seven days on the ninth. It's not just that you go through and get it out. You make sure it doesn't even enter back into the house. This is, there's to be some, an act of sincerity here. There to be, they are to be serious about it. And there's a specific time frame. He says from, from this hour on the 14th to this hour on the 21st, there is a time frame that we are not, it's not negotiable. If you're going to do all of this, you're going to take seven days out of your life to do this, you're going to have to do it with some sincerity. You, you're not going to be able to do it half-heartedly. Since there's to be a thorough adherence to this, whether there is a sojourner or a native of the land, if anyone eats what is leavened, they will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. He's putting Israel in, in, in one. It's the sons of Israel with, with, with there, there's a collective aspect of that, but when the congregation comes together, it's one entity. You want to be connected to that. Like you want to be connected to a, a congregation of people today, the, the idea of, of God's called out ones in the New Testament. You want to be under that umbrella of, of grace, that umbrella of provision and protection. And he says, if, if there is any leaven found in a home, any person eats what is leavened, whether a sojourner or a native of the land, they are to be cast out, thrown out, not allowed to stay. Verse 20, you will not eat anything leavened in all the places of habitation. You will eat no, you shall not eat unleavened. You shall eat unleavened bread. Wherever you are, wherever you go, because you know how people are. Somebody said this morning that rule books are that thick because people like Joe Richard exist. He's always, well, if that's the rule, can we do this? I mean, I asked a question this morning about a black pot. It's an aluminum pot painted black. Is that a black pot? No. Talking about a cast iron pot, rule bender. That's how people are. So you can see, you know how your kids are. Well, we can't have it in the house. What if I go to the stable? What, what if I go outside the camp? I'm already outside. No, he says, wherever you go. This is, we're not going to, there's to be a sincerity here, not an attempt to skirt the rules. That's where the memorial started. Let's look at the manner in which it started, how it started. Beginning in verse 21. Moses goes to the example setters here. He goes to the elders of the people. Was talking about Miss Wedna this morning. In her 90s, faithful to be here. When Wedna's not at church, we have to find out why. If, if she's not here, there's a reason. And, and we want to know that she's all right, that, that, that there's nothing that's kept her out of here. We need people like that. I said this morning, we need people that have gone before us that we're looking we're looking ahead to people that have walked this path before us. And, and, and we go to uh, what we have in this church by, by New Testament direction. We have elders in this church, men that have walked with the Lord for a very long time. It's not as much a matter of how many years you've been alive, but how many years you've walked with the Lord, the spiritual maturity. And he goes to the elders of the people in verse 21. He calls for the elders of the people, the example setters, don't ever forget this. Leadership matters. 
Everything rises and falls on leadership. A home, a business, a church, an organization, a team, whatever it is, leadership is important. And he goes to the elders because the elders led these people. These would have, this would have been a society where they gave a great accolade to the, the elders of the community. It's the exact opposite in America today. They, they're teaching young people today that your parents may have been well-intentioned, but they're, they're idiots. You need to listen to us. Do what we tell you. Don't worry about your parents. Uh, you, look, you want to be a boy and you were born a girl, don't tell your mom, I'll help you fix that. Heaven help the, the person that would do that to one of my kids. I don't like to say this necessarily in public, but my daddy was a lawman my entire life. There are things that I think I could do and not get caught. And I might get tempted beyond what I could bear if somebody would try to do that to my children. That, that, is, that is a step too far. Now, I understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not going to allow me to, to, to step over certain lines, but we need to get back to the idea that people that have more life experience are the people that we need to go to for, for advice. We really do. I tell my kids all the time, you need to understand, I'm, I'm making decisions for your life not based on what you feel like is the best thing for you right now. I'm basing my decisions for your life on the experience that I've had. I've lived a lot more life than you have. I've made a lot more mistakes than you have. I have had a lot more success than you've had. You will listen to me. And you need to listen to me. And that was why Moses goes to the elders. They still held the elders in high esteem and gave them high accolade. He goes to the example setters. He says to the elders. Now, another reason he does this is because he tells them and then they go to their respective clans and families and the, the information is dispersed more quickly rather than Moses having to go around to all the people. But he goes and he tells them and he tells the ones that he expects to, to be the leaders. The, these people move and others follow. This is what he tells them in verse 22. You will take a bunch of hyssop, kind of like a, a bunch of broccoli or a, a bunch of, uh, of parsley. You buy it by the bunch. It's, a, it's technically the idea of an amount, not just a, a physical uh, thing that you could hold. You take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and touch some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. That is how you seal the door. Then you stay inside. And to use, he doesn't just say take some blood and throw it on there. He tells them to use hyssop. And the hyssop plant is, it, it looks like a weed with some little purple flowers that grow on it. And, and it's, uh, it's likened to the herb mint. You can use, if you can get your hands on hyssop, you can use it in cooking. You use the flowers, maybe the stems in cooking. But hyssop, because of its use here, hyssop becomes synonymous with the idea of purification being purified and it will be used hyssop the hyssop plant it must have been fairly plentiful in that area for him to have uh, chosen this particular plant it wasn't something that they had to go I mean you can imagine if it wasn't plentiful now I've got to go find some hyssop tonight I might have to go to to the ends of the earth to find hyssop no it's going to be something that, that's fairly prevalent and easy to find but in Psalm 51 most of you are familiar with David's Psalm in Psalm 51, it is what he has written as a psalm of penitence, a psalm of repentance, after he has been confronted by the prophet Nathan over his, his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. 
And David, petitioning God for cleansing, says this in, in Psalm 51 and verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop is a picture of purification. And it becomes that because these people recognized that what was being done was they were being covered. And that it was God's covering that they were taking. It's not a, these people were not allowed to have the idea that God's coming to rescue us because we're his people. It will turn into that later as, as time goes on. Yeah, God's coming to get us because you've mistreated us all these years. Uh, technically, that's true, but there, his, Pharaoh's mistreatment of the people was not, did not anger God because it was unfair treatment. It angered God because those were God's people. These are my chosen people. You have overstepped the line and have attacked me. Just like someone attacks your children. Man, people do things to me and, and, and verbally say things about me, mistreat me, and, and it's, it's really not that big of a deal for me anymore. But, buddy, when it comes to my kids, and I know you're the same way. I learned a long time ago, dealing with the youth, you, have got to, you, have, you really have to watch your step when you're dealing with other people's kids. You're, that's people. When you're dealing with God's children, you're dealing with God's kids, you had better toe the line, buddy. And Pharaoh had gone as far across that line as he possibly could. Oh, you think I've mistreated them now? Just wait. I'll show you what I can do to them. I'm not going to let them go. Well, on this night, they're going to let them go. But they are to recognize that what God is about to do for them is not something that they have earned. And that this blood is to be a picture. Something has died in my place. Something had to die to provide that blood. He doesn't tell them to go draw some blood from the lamb. He says, you're to slaughter the lamb and catch the blood in the basin. You catch that life blood in this basin. He is starting to to express and to explain to these people that a blood sacrifice is necessary to satisfy God's wrath. And he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to pass through the land and I'm going to execute judgment. I'm going to smite the Egyptians. And when I see the blood on, that you apply with it hyssop over the doorway, I will pass over you because of the blood. And if there is no blood, I'm not passing over. They are his people, but they still have a mandate here. This is, this is what he tells these, these example setters in verses 21 and 22. There's an expected setting that they can expect to happen. There, there's going to be a reality this night. There's going to be an occurrence this night. Something is about to happen with the, the idea of setting a scene, this is coming, this is how it is going to go down, this is what you, you can expect to happen. Verse 23, and Yahweh will pass through. Of all the things in here that you may, you may think are negotiable possibilities, you may think there's some open-ended language here, this is not open-ended, this is not negotiable, Yahweh will pass through. Remember one year we went to see, it was one of some guy, some supposed conservative was running for president, was coming to Lafayette. And uh, we got the bright idea that we'd go and they were, they were giving away tickets to see him at the airport. That's when I learned that that's a waste of time if you don't have enough money. And by enough, I mean more than all of us collectively have in here. Uh, we went, just the amount of people that were there that, that lined the streets to see the motorcade come in. 
Now, I got to tell you, that motorcade could have been full of chimpanzees. We didn't know the windows were too dark. Oh, but this one's got the flag on it. It must be him. Well, maybe he did pass through. Maybe he didn't. It says that Yahweh is going to pass through. You don't want to be outside when Yahweh passes through. You don't want, you want to be in that cleft of the rock. You, you're, just tell me where it is and I'm going. People have this idea, oh, I want to see, I, I, I want to see the face of Jesus. Not right now, you don't. You do not have the physical capacity to withstand seeing the full orb glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right now, you don't. And anybody that tells you that you have, or that they have, you can just end that conversation and go find something else to do. Yahweh will pass through. And look what it says. This is what they can expect. He will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And he will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. And Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and smite you. The destroyer is coming to destroy. The wrath of God is coming to pour out God's wrath. And he says, when I see the blood. Now you and I in the, in the New Testament Age, we, we need to understand that because of the finished work of, of Christ on the cross of Calvary, John 19, he pulled himself up on those nails and he yelled at the top of his lungs, Tetelestai, it is finished. It is paid in full. And because of that, Romans 8 is exactly right when it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That means that when the, the wrath of God comes, it passes over us. Oh, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't care if you're under the blood of Christ. God only sees that. The destroyer, the wrath of God only sees that. And I'll tell you another thing. The grace of God sees that, and the grace of God showers you with God's unmerited favor, as he does with these people on this night. I mean, he tells them Yahweh is going to pass through. The question is, are you ready? He's coming. You better get ready. You better be ready. Because whether you like it or not, whether you're prepared or not, he's coming. And you better not go outside. They're, they're, getting, this, they're getting the point here that the blood sacrifice is both a protection and a provision for them. If nothing else, they're going to glean this from this circumstance. Verse 24, he declares that this is to be an eternal statute. We see this again. Verse 14, a perpetual statute. Verse 24, you will keep this event as a statute for you and your children forever. You say, well, should, should the Jews still celebrate all of the, those festivals? Should they still celebrate the Passover? I don't know. They're still around and it still happened. We had a guy that, uh, that used to come here fairly often. His sister used to be a member here. And he would come, and he belonged to a Messianic Jewish church congregation somewhere in north of New Orleans. And uh, he said they, there are a lot of things that they do different in a Jewish congregation. Some of it may be a little bit quirky, but a lot of it is still necessary. You go to Acts chapter 15 and understand that when the apostles, the capital A apostles, under the direction and capital A Apostle Ministry of the Holy Spirit decided that there is to be a distinction in the way that the Gentiles and the Jews still behave. Doesn't elevate one above the other, but there are still some mandates that the Jews have. And remember, he said, we, we'll draw the line here just 
Don't eat anything that's been strangled and, and refrain from the blood of, of dead animals because of the, 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 the offense to the, the Israeli people and because so often that's a pagan ritual. But the other things that they did, they didn't tell people to stop. Paul didn't say stop circumcising your sons as an Israeli. Paul said stop telling the Gentiles that they need to be circumcised. It's different. It's an eternal statue. Do you think that God didn't realize that 2,500 years later Jesus was going to come? No, I don't think he did. Oh, but preacher, should we do it? I don't know. Are you Israeli? No, I'm, I'm Scandinavian and Irish. Okay, then that answers your question. It's a perpetual statute for them, not for you and I. The Israeli people are still around, and that still happened, and it is still something that they celebrate, and it's something that we should mark in, in our own heart as something substantial, because without the Passover, we would not have a Savior. It's important. God did something of eternal importance. It can have an eternal recognition. The memorial is, is started. It is, we see the, the manner in which it is to be performed, stated. The memorial here is stated. God codifies it very explicitly here in verses 25 to 28. They have, they're going to have a new position. Part of the reason that they're going to do this is because of this new position that they will have. Up until now, they have been the people of God enslaved to the Egyptian. They, as far as the world is concerned, they've been Egyptian slaves. Which is remarkable if you think about when... Forty years later, when Joshua is, is going to go into the, uh, or when the two spies go into to Jericho, and they run into Rahab, and she's going to tell him, oh, our hearts melted within us 40 years ago when y'all came across the river. We are, the, the, the Canaanites were warring people. The Israelis were slave farm workers, and the warring people were terrified of the slave farm workers. Why? Because God did that. God put that in their, in their heart. These people are about to have a completely new position. All they've ever known is in, in generations until now, all they've known is they're slaves of the Egyptians. They were born slaves, they're going to die slaves. That's what they know. But he tells them here they're going to have a new position. Look at verse 25. It's one of the most, more remarkable uh, expressions in here. And most of your translations take uh, a little different angle on this word it's typically translated service i think i asked you last week and it will be when you enter the land which yahweh will give you as he has promised now we know that they're going to spend 38 years wandering in the wilderness the first 39 of these uh of these passovers will be done outside of the promised land but even once they get in he said you're going there this is to be what you do once you have the land you're to do this forever You will enter the land which Yahweh will give you as he promised. You shall keep this new, this new. The, the, the more important word here is the new. Now your, your translation, most of your translations will have the word service, this new service. The word means a service done by a slave for a master. It is, it is a new slavery. He, is, he never told Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, let my people go that they may serve me. The reality is you need to be in service to somebody 
more realistic, you are in service to somebody. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Jesus Christ. You say, oh, I'm not a slave to sin. Okay, stop doing it. Not do, not, look, I'll make it easy. Don't stop doing all of it. Just stop doing one of them. You pick it. Pick your 40 days. Stop one of them. Not Brussels sprouts. Stop. Just pick a sin. Just pick one. And if you're going to be serious about trying to stop that for 40 days, you know what you're going to be thinking about for 40 days? That sin all the time. What you need is a new master to focus on. I'm taking you out of one position of slavery and putting you in another. You know what you were created to do? You were created to serve. The devil stepped in and, and, and brought sin into the world through Adam's willful disregard of the command of God and put people under the bondage of sin. We were always created to be under bondage. God told Adam, you're to work the garden. Working the garden was not a consequence of sin. That was Adam's first responsibility. You're to work the garden. Along comes the, the opportunity to sin, and Adam just gives over this, this responsibility to serve God and gives himself over to the service of sin. And every person born outside of the, the virgin-born son of God has been born with a sin nature that immediately Causes your first breath to be a, the breath of a, a sin slave. He didn't set them free to wander. He is saving them from the slavery of sin and saving them to servitude to God. We were not created to figure out our own way in life. We were created to serve God. And what this tells them is this new service, this new slavery, is that this is now a mandatory service with dire consequences if it is not fulfilled. They are to keep this Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, it is supposed to be a very significant, life-altering seven-day period that you cannot miss. Now, as Israel grew, going back to Jerusalem for the Passover became difficult. Very often, it was just the men that would go and not the whole family. I'm not exactly sure what the families would do back home, but there wasn't room for all of the people of Israel to be in Jerusalem at the very same time. It, wasn't, it was a difficult enough task for the men to go so that they had to split it up from the, the, they would start counting the 14th of Nisan from sunset on the 13th for one group of people and from the, the sunset at the, at the end of the, the 14th day so that they could get everybody involved in it in the same time frame. It just became almost unwieldy. But they did all of that because they couldn't not do it. The other option was to just stop doing it, and they couldn't not do it because this is a new responsibility, a mandatory service with dire consequences. What happened under their slavery to Egypt? He said, you're going to make the same amount of bricks without half of the help that I've been giving you, and you're, or you're going to die. It is a mandatory service with a dire consequence attached to it. But now you're to, you're to know a new slavery that has this as its responsibility, its mandatory service with dire consequences. A new position. Verse 27, we see a new provision.
It's not something that God has ever done for them before. This is to be new, and they are to recount this new provision that God has made for them. Until now, the provision that he's made is that Moses has come, and really Moses just stirred up the anger of, of Pharaoh for the first two or three of the, the, uh, the judgments. And then God began to draw a line, and he told Moses, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to draw a line between my people and the people of Egypt. And the plagues didn't affect Israel. The plague of darkness, it says that there was no, it was business as usual in, in the land of Is, where the Israelis lived, but it was a darkness so thick that people couldn't even move around for three days in Egypt. What's going to happen this night? He's already told Pharaoh that there will be wailing like you've never heard in Egypt, and a dog won't even bark in the land where the Israelis live. He's, he's drawing a distinction. This is a new provision for these people in verse 27. I guess in verse 26, he says, you're to do this with the expectation that your children ask you, what is the meaning of this new slavery? Do your kids ever ask you why you do certain things on holidays? I hope they do. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we can get a TV on sale. That's not the right answer. Celebrate Christmas because in order for us to have a Savior, he had to be born. Your children say, what is the meaning of this slavery for you? And the reason the kids are asking this is that you, listen, it was so serious, we stop everything and this is what we do. And you know how kids are, they've got their plans. And they just forget that, that Passover is coming or forget that certain times in the family are coming. And, oh, man, we got to go to grandma's house now. I've got these plans with my friends. Why can't I go with my friends while you go to mama's house? Oh, well, we wanted to go hang out with, with our friends over here. And, and, and have whatever frolicking that children would do in those days. No, we're keeping the Passover. You're going to be home. You're not going to your friend's house. It will be here, and it will be for eight days. It's going to be seven days of unleavened bread and the Passover. Well, why do we do this? Why do we have to do this? I'm glad you asked. Sit down. Let me explain something, boy. We have a new provision having been made for us. Look at verse 27. When they ask you this, you will say, it is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh, who passed over our houses, passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians. A couple of things happened here. He passed over our houses and he smote the Egyptians. But delivered our homes. The three aspects of this is what you're to tell them. I passed over your houses, I smote the Egyptians, and I delivered you. There's a provision that I've made for you. I've delivered you from the Egyptians, and I've delivered you to myself. You know, after the Revolutionary War, those northerners came down here, especially in, in Louisiana, and they went down the river to all the plantations and, and freed the slaves whether they wanted to leave or not. Some of them said, this is what we know. What do you, yeah, it's not, we don't know what you know about what freedom is in life, but this is what we know, and you, you're wanting to drag us out of our home, and they brought them up and put them in tent cities in North Louisiana, like refugees. And it took a long time for them to, we, we have to, we, you're taking these people immediately from one way of life and thrusting them into another that they're not prepared for. That's what God is doing with these people. He's taking them out of a, a, 
not, necess- not necessarily comfortable outside of the fact that it's the norm. This has been our life for generations, and tonight we're going to be extracted from here and put in another? It's almost like when the Babylonians came in, they don't speak the language. They come in and ransack the city, and they drag away all the people and bring them to Babylonian captivity. Can you imagine the agony of that? We're forced into a place we didn't ask for, and now we're having to learn, relearn. But God didn't just take them out and throw them into a situation that they couldn't handle. God brought them and rescued them from that slavery and brought them into his bosom to take care of them and lead them his way. It is a slavery to me, but it's not a slavery like any slavery you've ever known. It's the kind of service and and sacrifice to another that you need in your life. It is a provision from me to you. It is a new provision. I passed over you. I delivered you. I smote them, but I brought them to you. This being delivered, he delivered our homes. And in response to this being declared to them, this is what they're being told is about to happen. (laughs) I asked you last week to consider what, what would happen if I told you we're all leaving tomorrow. Go home and get your affairs in order. We're leaving in the morning. Nobody would be ready. I mean, I got to get all my stuff ready. We're leaving. We're leaving the state. We're just getting out tomorrow. That's what he's just told these people. And this is what I expect you to do when the day comes a year from now. You're going to celebrate this. And you're going to celebrate it every year from here on out. What would be your response to that? I don't know what these people have been doing in the time since we've seen the last time we saw them speak to Moses. I don't don't know what they've been doing. But what we see here, certainly in contrast to the last time that they told Moses and Aaron, we hope you die a horrible death because of what you've made Pharaoh do to us. We don't see that here. What we see is a new prostration from these people. Look at the end of verse 27. They hear all of this. This is what you're to say when you're asked. Remember that Yahweh passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, delivered our homes. End of quotation. This is the reaction. The people bowed low in worship. Gives you a little different idea of, of worship than what modern contemporary evangelicalism calls worship. From a modern evangelical position that means that they all raised their hands and they they sang a a fun song and 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 had this seven word chant that they went over 11 times and then they moved on to the next one it says they bowed low in worship this was along the lines of what now i'm not negating the the joyous aspect of worship i don't mean to say that But you need to understand that these people in their worship of God, this means that they have accepted what he said. They believe him. There is an obedience in their heart, at least for now. They are, verse 28 says that they are fully, completely obedient with precision. It says they bowed low and worshiped. Sometimes when we think about what God has done for us in salvation, it just causes us to weep. We just... We can't stand up. We have to be on our knees. And all we can do is praise him for what he has done. I don't deserve anything good from you. And you have, out of the the overflowing of of love and abundant grace of, of your own heart, you sought me out with this remedy. 
You rescued me when all I wanted to do was have my cake and eat it too. Just give me a smooth life to live it the way I want to. But no, you've gone above and beyond, and they bowed low and worshipped. That's a proper position to have. And then to prove this heart of worship and the sincerity of it, they went out and did exactly what Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron. Says it, he says it twice. The sons of Israel went out and did so. Could have ended there, but for the sake of emphasis, he says, what did they do? That just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they see what Moses and Aaron says to the elders as being exactly what Yahweh said for them to do. They, they take the word of God seriously. They went and did it. Just as Yahweh said, so they did it. It was done with precision and this first time that they're going to do this, as I said earlier, will set the bar of expectation for the subsequent ones. They are serious about it. And it, at this point, at least, it seems to come from a, a, a heart of, of obedient worship to him. Not as a, an act of drudgery, but as an act of worship. They bowed low and worshiped and did exactly what he said for them to do. They still had no idea what all God had in store for them in the future. They just knew that what he was going to do for them was more than they ever could have asked. And yet he has more for them than they ever could have imagined. Paul will go on to say it this way to the Corinthians, eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. In this life and in the next. We serve a great God. Father, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you that you are the trustworthy one. Thank you that you are a master that we can serve with complete allegiance and obedience. For you are a master who deserves absolute obedience and allegiance. You are the most gracious, the most kind, the most loving the most concerned being in the universe, kind and gracious and compassionate, concerned for your people. You have more concern for us than we do for our own children. Lord, we, we praise you for being who you are and what comes to our lives from you because of that. Pray that you will help us to see your glory in a greater light as we study these passages in Exodus, this time of rescue, that you rescued the people of God in order to bring the Savior of the world. Pray that you will be honored by what is taught here as we glean these truths, and I pray that you are honored by what comes out of our lives as a result of this study together. I pray, Lord, for your people and their protection as they travel home this night. I pray it in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.